It's hazy out, cold with a chance of rain. This is Clover McCloud. Thanks for getting cozy with me. Time for another stormy weather story. It is my pleasure to continue reading from Violets and Other Tales by Alice Ruth Moore. The Woman The literary manager of the club arose, cleared his throat, adjusted his cravat, fixed his eyes sternly upon the young man, and in a sonorous voice, a little marred by his habitual lisp, asked, Mister, will you please tell us your opinion upon the question, whether women's chances for matrimony are increased or decreased when she becomes man's equal as a wage earner? The secretary adjusted her eyeglass and held her pencil alertly poised above her book, ready to note which side Mister took. Mister fidgeted, pulled himself together with a violent jerk, and finally spoke his mind. Someone else did likewise, also someone else. Then the women interposed and jumped on the men. The men retaliated. A wordy war ensued, and the whole matter ended by nothing being decided, pro or con, generally the case in wordy discussions. Moi? Well, I sawed wood and said nothing, but all the while there was forming in my mind. No, I won't say forming. It was there already. It was this. Why should well-salaried women marry? Take the average working woman of today. She works from five to ten hours a day, doing extra night work, sometimes, of course. Her work over, she goes home, or to her boarding house, as the case may be. Her meals are prepared for her. She has no household cares upon her shoulders, no troublesome dinners to prepare for a fault-finding husband, no fretful children to try her patience, no petty bread and meat economics to adjust. She has her cares, her money troubles, her debts, and her scrimpings, it is true, but they only make her independent instead of reducing her to a dead level of despair. Her day's work ends at the office, school, factory, or store. The rest of the time is hers, undisturbed by the restless going to and fro of housewifely cares. And she can employ it in mental or social diversions. She does not incessantly rely upon the whims of a cross man to take her to such amusements as she desires. In this 19th century, she is free to go where she pleases, provided it be in a moral atmosphere without comment. Theaters, concerts, lectures, and the lighter amusements of social affairs among her associates are open to her, and there she can go, see, and be seen, admire and be admired, enjoy and be enjoyed, without a single harrowing thought of the baby's milk or the husband's coffee. Her earnings are her own, indisputably, unreservedly, undividedly. 
She knows to a certainty just how much she can spend, how well she can dress, how far her earnings will go. If there is a dress, a book, a bit of music, a bunch of flowers, or a bit of furniture that she wants, she can get it, and there is no need of asking anyone's advice or gently hinting to John that Mrs. So-and-so has a lovely hat, and there is one ever so much prettier and cheaper down at Thus and Companies. To an independent spirit, there is a certain sense of humiliation and wounded pride in asking for money, be it five cents or five hundred dollars. The working woman knows no such pang. She has but to question her account, and all is over. In the summer, she takes her savings of the winter, packs her trunk, and takes a trip, more or less extensive, and there is nothing to say to her nay, nothing to bother her except the accumulation of her own baggage. There is an independent, happy, free, and easy swing about the motion of her life. Her mind is constantly being broadened by contact with the world in its working clothes, in her leisure, moments by the better thoughts of dead and living men which she meets in her applications to books and periodicals, in her vacations, by her studies of nature, or it may be other communities than her own. The freedom which she enjoys she does not trespass upon, for if she did not learn at school, she has acquired, since, habits of strong self-reliance, self-support, earnest thinking, deep discriminations, and firmly believes that the most perfect liberty is that state in which humanity conforms itself to and obeys strictly, without deviation, those laws which are best fitted for their mutual self-advancement. And so, your independent working woman of today comes as near being ideal in her equitable self-poise as can be imagined. So why should she hasten to give this liberty up in exchange for a serfdom, sweet sometimes, it is true, but which too often becomes galling and unendurable. It is not marriage that I decry, for I don't think any really sane person would do this, but it is this wholesale marrying of girls in their teens, this rushing into unknown plane of life to avoid work. <laughs> to avoid work! What housewife dares call a moment her own? Marriages might be made in heaven, but too often they are consummated right here on earth, based on a desire to possess the physical attractions of a woman by a man, pretty much as a child desires a toy, and an innate love of man, a wild desire not to be ridiculed by the foolish as an old maid, and a certain delicate shrinking from the work of the world, laziness is a good name for it, by the woman. The attraction of mind to mind, the ability of one to complement the lights and shadows in the other, the capacity of either to fulfill the duties of wife or husband, these do not enter into the contract. That is why we have divorce courts. And so, our independent woman, in every year of her full, rich, well-rounded life, gaining fresh knowledge and experience, learning humanity, and particularly that portion of it which is the other gender, so well as to avoid clay-footed idols. And finally, when she does consent to bear the yoke upon her shoulders, does so with perhaps less romance and glamour than her younger scoffing sisters, 
but with an assurance of solid and more lasting happiness. Why should she have hastened this? Was aught lost by the delay? They say that men don't admire this type of woman, that they prefer the soft, dainty, whining, mindless creature who cuddles into men's arms, agrees to everything they say, and looks upon them as a race of gods turned loose upon this earth for the edification of womankind. Well, maybe so. But there is one thing positive. They certainly respect the independent one. And admire her, too, even if it is at a distance. And that, in itself, is something. As to the other part, no matter how sensible a woman is on other questions, when she falls in love she is fool enough to believe her adored one a veritable Solomon. Cuddling? Well, she may preside over conventions, brandish her umbrella at board meetings, tramp the streets soliciting subscriptions, wield the blue pencil in an editorial sanctum, hammer a typewriter, smear her nose with ink from a galley full of pied type, lead infant ideas through the torturous mazes of C-A-T and R-A-T, plead at the bar, or wield the scalpel in the dissecting room. Yet, when the right moment comes, she will sink as gracefully into his manly embrace, throw her arms as lovingly around his neck, and cuddle as warmly and sweetly to his bosom as her little sister who has done nothing else but think, dream, and practice for that hour. <laughs> it comes natural, you see. listening to Nope by Noir et Blanc Vi. I'm Clover McCloud, and thank you for listening.